Let us worship God. Our first reading is from the prophet Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, beginning with the first verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. God, we give you thanks for these words from an ancient time and place. Open our hearts and minds that we might hear in these ancient words your words for us here today. But now, thus says the Holy One, 
The one who created you, O Jacob, the one who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Holy One, your God, the God of Israel, your savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, I give people in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God.
Our second reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, beginning with verse 15. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. Here ends the reading. There is a ferry boat captain in Venice, forever bobbing on the gentle water of my memory. My fellow traveling companions and I, doe-eyed children visiting a floating land of dreams, were just another day's cargo, like the fish or the water or the boat we went unnoticed observing him. When we docked at St. Mark's Square, we disembarked between yachts and cruise ships, joining streams of people, becoming the floodwaters of the morning, making our way through the entrance of the basilica and rising like a school of fish swimming up a corridor of stairs. After winding through the sacred bowels of the place said to house the bones of St. Mark, we emerged grateful for the quiet of receding tides and appreciating the life of a ferryboat captain on the open sea. The quiet we found was short-lived, as waves of pigeons descended on the square. Somehow, being bathed by a rush of their wings had become the tourists' delight. Holding out hands of seeds, one tourist after another gleefully stood covered by feral birds in flight. Perhaps the scene would have been less startling had I known then of the Holy Spirit as the pigeon God. Though we have been introduced to the Spirit as the dove who descended upon the primordial waters at creation, who was sent forth by Noah after the flood, who alighted on Jesus at his baptism and on the people at Pentecost, some believe our ancient ancestors meant to convey the spirit was 
a pigeon instead. It was a pigeon who hovered over the earth and who scattered seeds. It was a pigeon who brought forth life and continues to live in our midst. God descended in bodily form as a pigeon. In Hebrew and in Greek, the same word can be translated as dove or pigeon. To us, in the language of symbols, they carry very different meanings. One connotes an ethereal being of purity and peace. The other, a dusty scavenger hopping around on city streets. But in the family of birds, a dove is a pigeon. And as the ancestor to the dove, the pigeon, the pigeon we have come to know, so the theory goes, was the more likely bird familiar to the people of the book. The spirit was made manifest as a pigeon. In a book titled, When God Was a Bird, professor of religion Mark Wallace makes the case that what we read as simile was meant to be understood literally. God was a bird. This reality was a natural reflection of God's presence in the world, God's natural home, everything within it alive, perceptive, related. Unfortunately, as Wallace describes, in Christianity's practiced forgetfulness of its earthbound origins, it recast itself as a footnote to Greek philosophy. As a vassal to Plato and Aristotle, it has operated within a graded hierarchy of being in which plants and animals, rocks and rivers are denigrated as soulless matter while human beings are elevated as godlike, intelligent creatures, mired in the muck of corporal existence to be sure, but still able to shake off the mortal coil that binds them to the lower life forms and realize their true imago dei natures and destinies. Captive by a contempt for the world, Wallace observes that Christian thinkers are consistently led into a Neoplatonic cul-de-sac in which the world is maligned as a dead and fallen place wherein the human soul, divorced from its body, strives to transcend its physical drives and passions and in so doing return to the disembodied source from which it originated. But in the Christian story, in the roots of our story, God is here. Here, in the green leafy earth, the dynamic life force of the Spirit is found. In the rocks, rivers, lakes, and mountains, in the living community of the soil. If we allow ourselves to be liberated from our disembodied transcendence, the hierarchy collapses and, encourages Wallace, 
we are left with a diversely differentiated field of animated beings, each of which has its own gifts relative to others. And we find ourselves not above, but in the midst of this living field, our own sentience, part and parcel of the sensuous landscape. Wallace would say, everything that exists, whether given breath or not, lives in dynamic relationship with each other. It is in this community that the pigeon god lives. Even the work of clearing the threshing floor, separating the chaff from the seed, is not done without the help of the wind. Though the farmer plants and tills, the wheat is not grown without the work of the soil and the rain. And it is the fire of the oven that makes the bread ready to eat. Though in Jesus of Nazareth, God is revealed in human form, it is a revelation made with the help of a perceptive bird, one who names and calls us her own. It is not revealed in the midst of one alone apart. It is revealed in the midst of community. On a day when the people come together, Jesus is baptized as one among the crowd, and the Spirit descends as a common pigeon, carrying with it the life of the wind and the water and the earth and the fire. Recognizing the life emerging from the waters as, as its own, a voice still echoing in the heavens proclaims, You are my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. These are the waters out of which we are born. This is the curious bird of the heavens, unafraid of our dusty inner streets, who recognizes the light we carry and calls us her own. She is the one who says, Fear not, for I am with you. When you pass through the waters, I will be there, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Holy One who created you. I will gather you here, every one whom I formed and made. When the early Christian Polycarp was ordered to be killed, he was tied to a stake to be set on fire. But when the fire was built, it would not consume him. And instead of burning flesh, the smell of bread baking wafted through the air, as if to say, you thought you could just toss him away like the chaff in the fire, but he is the wheat of sweet bread. Bringing an end to this impossibility, he is stabbed with a dagger, and out from his chest, a dove defiantly flies forth, and his blood extinguishes the flames. 
The life of the Spirit does not live in some far-off, disembodied place. It is something that resides in each part of the ecosystem we share, even deep in the muck. It is right in our midst, in the primordial waters within us, between us, here. As we move into a remembrance of baptism with the canticle of renewal, you are invited to have a candle and water prepared. 
And when you feel so led, I invite you to dip your hands into the water and then to touch your head, making a sign of the cross in remembrance of your baptism or by way of simply receiving a blessing. Our unity is not found in our conformity but in our diversity, so I encourage you to enter this ritual in whatever way feels right for you.
Let us pray. We give thanks to you, O God, who divides the waters, so plants and beasts of the sea and sky and earth thrive. We give thanks to you, O God, who draws us from the water in birth and rebirth. We give thanks to you, O God, who claims us with a love from which nothing can separate us. As we close our gathering, send your spirit among us to guide us in our work and play, in our service and love, strengthened and renewed by the waters of baptism. Amen. And go forth and let the curious eye of the bird greet you. The life of the soil sustain you, and the deep well in your midst fill you as a beloved child of God. Amen.